Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Hour two of Seattle Sports Saturday. With you until 1 o'clock, by the way. Mariners taking on the Texas Rangers later tonight here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You may want to make sure you're tuning in for that. Tyler Anderson makes his Mariners debut Taylor, that's going to be a a question we ask ourselves 20 years from now. Where were you when Tyler Anderson made his Mariners debut? And uh, you know what? I'm probably not going to have an answer for you 20 years from now, but uh, we're all going to be in. We're all going to be in for it tonight. If I remember that, man, I'm doing great. (laughs) I'm I'm in a real good spot from now. So if I can remember this start, and look, I hope I hope this is the, uh, the that turning moment. But to be honest with you, like. I remember Felix starting, but I don't remember specifically where I was for Felix's first start, even though I was very excited for it. Um, yeah, that's it, that's just text in seven ten seven ten. Do you have any specific like big sports memories that like stand out? You know exactly where you were. I know like where I was when the Sonics left. I was on I ninety heading eastbound, crying Ooh. in my car. <laughs> so, have you got something like that? Text in. Yeah, uh, hopefully Taylor Anderson's start goes much better than that day uh, for yeah. all of us here. Uh, I, I would hope so. He's gone five innings in every start that he has made this season uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, so that bodes well, especially when you consider that this would be a bullpen day for the Mariners under the in, under previous circumstances. So the Mariners getting a legit starter out of their number five spot. What a concept. But coming up in this hour, we'll take a trip around the NFL, look at some of the biggest headlines, including what Aaron Rodgers had to say in his very first press conference since returning to the Packers uh, after his status was very much up in the air this offseason. And then also how much pressure have the Mariners put on themselves to contend in 2022. But before we get into all that, let's get you another round of the big three. Number one. Well, Oklahoma State's Cade Cunningham went number one overall to the Detroit Pistons in this year's NBA draft. The 6'8 guard will look to bring the Pistons back to being an Eastern Conference powerhouse. And as expected, the Houston Rockets and Cleveland Cavaliers took Jalen Green and Evan Mobley with picks two and three respectively. The shot came from the six, not the sixth pick, the six up north. The Toronto Raptors opted for Scotty Barnes at number four, with former Gonzaga star Jalen Suggs dropping to Orlando at number five. And the Golden State Warriors, I know it's shocking to hear them in the lottery, but they had two picks in the top 15 this year, going with Jonathan Kum... Kum... Oh, man. I always, how do I pronounce this one, Curtis? Jonathan Kuminga? Kuminga, yes, I think that's right. I didn't want to butcher that. And then Moses Moody. Corey Kispert went one pick after Moody there at number 15 to the Washington team that ended up trading Russell Westbrook to the Lakers in the biggest trade of the day, stopping the sports world. So now all eyes turn to the Lakers next year and whether or not they can become the Western Conference dynasty they so hope to become. Number two. 
Practically every big name was moved on a very active trade deadline day across Major League Baseball. The biggest winners, that'd be fans in the National League West. The Dodgers dipping into their deep farm system, able to drum up a package big enough to land not only Nationals ace Max Scherzer, but also their all-star infielder Trey Turner, too. And that's only the start of the additions for the most competitive division in baseball. The Giants, they added former face of the Cubs Chris Bryant ahead of his very hotly anticipated free agency and speaking of those cubs not only did they deal bryant but they also unloaded anthony rizzo to the yankees javi baez to the mets and craig kimbrell to the white Sox. the rebuild very much on in chicago which is wild to think about for a franchise that prints money at the rate that they do you think financials are something that they would not have to worry about when it comes to keeping their star players but Boy, that Ricketts family, uh, very tightly fisted when it comes to the cash that flows in that organization. Some other big names dealt this past week. The Yankees traded for Rangers slugger Joey Gallo. Kyle Schwarber, another former Cub, but also former Washington National. He goes to the Red Sox. And the Blue Jays got former Twins ace Jose Barrios for a huge package, including their number two prospect, Austin Martin, who was drafted back in 2020. A very steep price to pay for a pitcher that was probably in the Mariners' sights, but as soon as they saw the package that Toronto was giving up, no way the Mariners were going to match that. Number three. Well, Team USA advanced out of pool play after beating the Czech Republic 119-84 in men's basketball. In that game, Kevin Durant passed Carmelo Anthony as the all-time leading scorer in Team USA basketball history. Carmelo, one of America's best Olympians, has a was a four-time Olympian, three-time gold medalist. He had 336 points in his Olympic career. Going over to the pool, Katie Ledecky three-peating in her marquee event, the 800-meter freestyle with a time of 8.12.57. She's the first woman to win, uh, or I think she's the first person to win three in a row in that event. She now owns the top 23 times of that event all-time, Curtis. She lost one, so unfortunately, she's 24 of 25. Yeah, she's slipping. She doesn't have the, the vice grip like she used to have. And then after winning his first individual gold in the 100-meter freestyle on Wednesday, Caleb Dressel won the 100-meter butterfly with a world record 49.45 seconds. Dressel has yet to lose an individual race at the Tokyo Games. And overall, U.S. and China tied for the most medals at 46 apiece with the ROC behind them at 37. China and Japan are the top two countries as far as gold medals go, but plenty of U.S. favorite events still to come. That is this hour's big three. Some text coming in on the Mac and Jack's text line, 710-710. Moments where you remember where you were over the last few years. 425 says, when the Thunder lost in the 2012 NBA Finals. Very happy. Yeah, i I was very happy as well when OKC lost to Miami. And then they didn't even go back to the NBA Finals with that incredible core that they had of Harden, Westbrook, Durant, Ibaka. Boy, and I think, what, Durant's won a title outside of there. Ibaka has. Harden and Westbrook have not. They've got some pretty good chances. And you mentioned that Westbrook trade, Taylor, off the top there in the big three. What do you make of L.A. going for another ball-dominant player in Russell Westbrook to go with ball-dominant LeBron James 
and Anthony Davis, is there going to be enough possessions to go around for that trio? I mean, who is going to have to take a step back in their production in order to make that thing work? Yeah, well, I mean, it has to be Russell Westbrook as far as points scored, but I can definitely see him making that extra pass. It's not like he's not a passing point guard. He's a, I mean, look, we look at his career numbers. He can facilitate. The issue will be when Westbrook slashes to the lane, do they have someone who can shoot from the outside? Because we know LeBron and AD can dominate inside the paint. They're physical, that mid-range game. Those two can lock that down. Westbrook, a slasher. We know he can get to the hoop. Do they have that presence on the outside, the three-point shot, the consistent outside bucket that they can lean on? And if they do acquire that, you know, it could be a guy like a Danny Green, not specifically him, but now, but it could be someone who, you know, filled that role. Like when he did that with the Raptors, that guy, they, they can just know will make a few shots on the outside. So they're getting close though. I mean, that's one player. And then this team's starting five is going to be similar to the goon squad from space jam. (laughs) And then I do want to shout out this, uh, 206 real quick here with my uh name stumbled they go uh it's jonathan boy boy like the cali boy boy (laughs) shout out to cali boy boy uh cali yarn marshawn lynch always always welcome around to talk kraken if if he'd like the the invitation is open marshawn yeah yeah. it's your standing invite Absolutely. Uh, Some honorable mentions, NBA free agency starting on the 2nd of August. So this week we're going to see some big, big contracts get thrown around there. Chris Paul is a free agent. Kyle Lowry is a free agent. Kawhi Leonard could potentially be a free agent if he chooses to opt out. He did undergo surgery, so there's a very real chance he does not choose to opt out. But even if he does, Taylor, I, I still think he gets a max deal because of how impactful he could be. I, I have a hard time, though, seeing him leave the Clippers, especially with how desperate he was to get to the L.A. market and also choosing the Clippers over being the third wheel in, you know, with the Lakers and Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I just I don't see him leaving the Clippers after a couple of seasons. No, that's not his personality from what we've seen so far. Uh, to me, it feels like he's in. LA till the end of his career. It feels like he he chose to be with the Clippers. He's going to continue to choose to be with them. You know, unless something drastically crazy happens with that front organization, front office in that organization and Balmer isn't as invested in the team, but he's pumping money in. They seem to be uh, competitive in some other uh, free agent races. So, yeah, we'll see uh, if they can get Kawhi back and continue to build on that team cuz look, the team across town that shares the arena with you uh, just got a whole lot better. Yeah, and they've also won a championship within the last 365 days, too. So, yes. uh, as always, the Clippers looking up at the Lakers in the Staples Center there. Uh, and then also another honorable mention, NHL free agency, like we talked about to cap off the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, but just across the league, a lot of changes in goalies. 19 of the 32 franchises will have a new goalie for the 2021-2022 season. Obviously, Seattle will. But so 18 of the other 31, more than half the league, will see changes in netminders this upcoming season. And maybe the biggest one of them all, we talked about it a little bit, is Vegas trading their goalie, Marc-Andre Fleury, to the Chicago Blackhawks in a salary dump in Chicago 
having you know their own rebuild of sorts, but Flurry was just the face of that Golden Knights expansion season and has been a face of that franchise ever since. It kind of speaks to the level of cap space the other teams don't have right now. Uh, his $7 million going to the Blackhawks, and like we talked about, the Kraken can take full advantage of that. Yeah, and uh, boy, oh boy, they're set, they are they just continue to make the right moves. We talked about it last hour, but they're setting themselves up, and they, uh, they just – it feels like, again – from the outside looking in, we're not a part of the organization, but the, all the right moves are being made to set this team up to win. So let's get it cracking. Let's get to October. Let's let's get that puck on the ice there, Curtis. Let's do it. Let's do it. And before that, though, we've got some NFL training camp. Every team has reported, so you know the headlines are flowing. We'll do our best to get to the most important ones next as we take a trip around the NFL with some headlines here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Aaron Rodgers made his, I guess, valiant return to Packers camp this week, and he aired it all out in his return press conference, just basically saying whatever was on his mind about the situation between him and the Packers. And Taylor, it was interesting to note, he made the very specific quote of saying, look, I'm not a victim here, but spent the majority of the press conference painting himself as such. What did you make of what Aaron Rodgers had to say to the assembled media in Green Bay? It it, it just felt like the exact positioning you knew he was going to take that this relationship is coming to an end. This is the last dance. They posted the picture last week of the Jordan Pippen. Uh, it feels very reminiscent of that, that this is going to be their last sort of hurrah to try and make it happen in Green Bay. But I, I never feel bad for Aaron Rodgers. He controls his situation. He has more leverage than most players will ever have in the NFL. So, yeah, to me, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I don't feel bad for him. I know he wants us to not feel bad for him, but uh, – Green Bay is going to be just fine. They're going to be competitive with him back there, which makes me more upset. So in the end, I really am mad about this whole thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, like, dude, you want to paint yourself as this victim so badly. But look, there have been plenty of opportunities where his play has not exactly helped the Packers in big scenarios, big situations. I look back at the 2020 NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers where, man, the Packers fell down in that game and Aaron Rodgers did not do anything to bring them back in that one. He was more than okay letting that one get away from Green Bay and get away from the Packers because, boy, that was a a brutal loss that they took in that one uh some a situation definitely worth monitoring for the seahawks is the starting quarterback situation going on right now in indianapolis we all assumed carson wentz was going to be the starter and that would probably be the case if carson wentz were healthy but right now it does not look like that's that's going to be a sure thing as he's dealing with a foot injury his status for week one very much in doubt right now Taylor, when you look at the Colts right now, without Carson Wentz, it looks like it's Jacob Eason. They signed Brett Hundley today. 
if you're the Seahawks, you probably got to be salivating right at the at the opportunity in, in week one. Yeah, and Frank Reich, that was his guy, right? Wentz is sort of the guy he groomed and, and of recent memory he helped make a winner. And, yeah, to, to take a step to Eason. And, look, we don't know what Eason can do at the NFL level yet. But, uh, look, we, we saw him plenty here in the Pacific Northwest from his high school days to his college days. And um, it'll be – look, the, the Seahawks defense has to be excited. Look, Anytime you get a chance to play the backup quarterback versus the starter, unless it's the Rams in the playoffs, I think you probably got to be excited about it. What I hope in week one is that if Jacob Eason is a starting quarterback, he has not learned to not do that spin move that he used to do when he was the quarterback of the Huskies. Oh, I hope yeah. he is doing that all game long, and guys like Carlos Dunlap are bringing him down and just having their way with him because, boy, the last we saw of Jacob Eason was a season in which he left plenty to be desired as the Huskies' starting quarterback. Uh, I I would imagine he's learned a couple of things or two over the last couple of years, backing up Phillip Rivers a year ago and also now uh, backing up Carson Wentz at least to start this past off season, but now he might be thrust in there. You see the name Brett Hundley though, Taylor. Does that mm. give you any concern? Because the last time we saw Brett Hundley, he was in mop-up duty for Kyler Murray and actually beat the Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, maybe I should walk back that statement I said about backup <laughs> quarterbacks in the Seahawks team. Maybe I am actually terrified of Jacob Eason in this team. Maybe this is a bad situation, but no, it, all, all jokes aside, <laughs> Uh, I think Brent Hudley is a good backup to the backup. Um, I, I wouldn't be too nervous about facing it. Look, fool me once, you know, that whole scenario. If we we're going to see Brent Hundley again week one, boy, oh boy. But yeah, uh, let, let, let's let Jacob Eason get back there, do a couple spin moves, you know, hit B too many times and, and get sacked. <laughs> I, I would love to see it. I would absolutely love to see that. Yeah, as long as it's not uh, Colt McCoy being the starting quarterback against the Seahawks, I yeah. think we're good because Colt McCoy, for whatever reason, has the Seahawks number. I don't like that. Uh, a very interesting trade request made this week. That's involving Dolphins cornerback Xavier Howard, who still has four years remaining on his current deal. Taylor, when you look at that situation in Miami, I mean, four years left on his deal, do you think the Dolphins are going to, you know, going to – are they going to cater to Howard's desire here, or do you think he ends up playing this season for Miami? Yeah, I think he's going to play in Miami. Unfortunately, he can try and sit out and do all that, but four years on the contract, man, and uh, with some of his off-field stuff as well, I think he should be thankful that he has that deal in place, show up in Miami and play because, again, even for the Dolphins to try and sell right now, the value would be so low, um, and it, it just would not be worth it for them. So, yeah, he's got to, I think, in my opinion, play for the Dolphins this season. Yeah, I don't, I don't see him getting dealt, especially with how much is remaining on his contract. And also, he had, I believe, an off-field incident within the last couple of years involving domestic violence in some fashion yeah uh so 
that is going to be a, a tough, tough decision to make for a lot of teams across the NFL, uh, whether or not this guy is worth bringing in, uh, whether or not that situation was as serious as it was. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about bringing in a guy like that. If I'm the Seahawks, I think that would be a last-ditch effort. If you can't find cornerback help elsewhere, you know, it, it, let's say Stephon Gilmore is made available at some point, I think I'd be much more comfortable bringing him in than a guy like Howard who has, you know, I would say a checkered past over the last couple of years. And you're going to have to pay Howard more than you would have to pay Gilmore. So I think Gilmore, to me, is the guy I would go to if I were the Seahawks, if it came down to it. Yeah, likewise. Um, it, the choice between those two, no-brainer. And, and I think Gilmore's fit here in Seattle, too, a little bit better as well. The, the style he plays, I think like, Pete likes that style of DB. So, uh, yeah, I mean, best of luck in his request to try and move from the, uh, the, the South Beach area, but it looks like he's going to be soaking up the sun down there for a little bit longer. And then another move made in free agency today, a veteran pass rusher, Justin Houston, who I think some Seahawks fans had their eye on as to whether or not he could be a possibility. Well, he is not a possibility right now for the Seahawks as he agreed to a one-year deal this morning with the Baltimore Ravens. They are trying to fill out their pass rush after losing, what, Unique Ngakwe and also losing Matthew Judon. Houston coming in on a one-year deal worth up to $4 million. Taylor, when you look at the Seahawks' pass rush, do you think they need any other help, or do you think the group that they have is going to be the one uh, that you know gets the job done in, in at least the early part of the regular season? Yeah, I don't think there's anyone out there that they could go and get for that group specifically. You could maybe get KJ and then have Daryl Taylor be that sort of specialty blitzing sort of linebacker. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like the market on pass rushers is closed and it feels like this is the group that the Seahawks will be heading into the regular season with. Yeah, Justin Houston, I mean, his best days are behind him, obviously, but in that veteran role, maybe as a third down guy, could be useful. But I look at the Seahawks defensive end rotation right now. You've got what? Kerry Hyder, Alden Smith, Benson Mayoa, Carlos Dunlap. Daryl Taylor can can slot in there. Alton Robinson, Rasheem Green. They've got a lot of guys. There's plenty of depth there right now. I don't necessarily think a veteran like Justin Houston would be able to make as big of a difference here as he would elsewhere. I don't blame him for looking for a spot where you could have a much bigger role than, than you do here in Seattle, but I, I like the group that the Seahawks have right now, and that's I don't necessarily think it is pending Alden Smith's availability in the regular season. His arraignment is August 24th, which is right before the start of the regular season. We'll be able to see whether or not he'll miss any time during the regular season due to suspension or something like that from the NFL. But it should be very interesting to watch how the Seahawks pass rush fills out. That is uh, some of the biggest headlines in the NFL NFL headlines. When we return, how much pressure have the Mariners put on themselves to contend in 2022? We'll talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Mariners lineup out for game two of this series against the Texas Rangers. Jared Kelnick starting in center field today. He's batting eighth. Abraham Toro, he's going to be batting fifth at second base. Luis Torrens, your DH today. Cal Raleigh getting the start at catcher. Everything else pretty much the same. Dylan Moore is going to be out in left field, and Tyler Anderson makes his debut. Pre-game show starts at 3 o'clock right here on 710 ESPN. First pitch at 4.05, Mariners and Rangers. And the Mariners this week making a few moves, setting themselves up for 2022 and beyond. I think that was the main thread of their trades this week, Taylor, in acquiring Abraham Toro and also acquiring Diego Castillo, two guys that are under club control, two guys that are still relatively young compared to the normal crop of free agents that you see. Toro, 24 years old, Castillo, just 27 years old, and neither one of them really hitting free agency anytime soon. When you look at what the Mariners are setting themselves up for next season, do you think there is added pressure for them to spend in free agency now as opposed to prior to the trade deadline? Yeah, I I think now that we've passed through the trade deadline and we see this team as it is, the pressure on next season and specifically the offseason and who they sign heading into the, the next time they take the field next year it's going to be crucial for this team and and for fans and what they see from this team because look we bought into the rebuild they did the full rebuild they tore it down they built it back up now this is the time where you add those veteran pieces the free agency things to make it the complete club so to me uh, if they don't go out and do that, I'm going to feel really differently about how things are happening in this organization and not for better because they've been telling us all this. We've been buying it. They've been showing it to, to not go out there on the precipice of, of reaching the goal and go for it would be supremely disappointing. Yeah. And you hear all the time from Jerry DePoto and you know, from people in the Mariners front office that, yeah, the rebuild was delayed about a year because of the pandemic. So maybe what they had planned for 2021 was originally planned, you know, for 2020. Now you've got an off season coming up here where you would expect there to be plenty of free agents available. I think you would expect Houston to take another hit if Carlos Correa does not return to that organization, which I don't necessarily think there's a huge priority in Houston to bring him back based off of what you might have to pay Alex Bregman at some point. And I think they're more likely to prioritize Bregman over Correa. So Houston could be taking a step back here. Oakland, they're still very competitive, but they just traded away their best pitching prospect, Jesus Lazardo, for two months of Starling Marte, who I guarantee you will not be re-signing with the Oakland A's after this season. So, I mean, there's a hit they're going to be taking, but also it's the A's. They're going to be competitive just about every single season. Very rarely do they take a year off and, and you know not be competitive. But for the Mariners, 2022 does represent a prime opportunity, but if they've pointed to this upcoming offseason as one to spend. I think as a fan of the Mariners, I would love for there to be a commitment to spending big, because when you say you spent, you're going to spend, that could mean anything that could be, you know, 
spending on, you know, three or four guys, or maybe you spend big on just one guy. Look, we saw it with the Seahawks a couple of years ago when they had like $60 million of cap space going into free agency. And what did they do? They spent it on a bunch of guys that were making, you know, a couple million dollars here or there. And they weren't necessarily a better team despite entering free agency with a ton of cap space. I hope that the Mariners don't do that in this upcoming offseason. I hope that they add difference makers at every level of this team in the lineup, in the rotation, in the bullpen. You look at that bullpen, though, Taylor, next year. For as good as it is this year, they're going to have a lot more proven names. You're going to have Diego Castillo next year. You're also going to have Ken Giles, who has been one of the game's best closers over the last decade. Maybe Andres Munoz, who you got in that trade with the Padres, returns to his old form. The Mariners in 2022 are set up to have a decent foundation. I really hope that they follow through and spend here. But also... Plenty of questions still remain about Jerry DePoto and whether or not he's going to be with this team. Same with Scott Service. I would love for there to be some clarity on that situation prior to the offseason because it's going to be really hard to, to keep this thing going in the right direction if there's a huge change in, in the front office. Yeah, I agree. And, and I understand people being skeptical and wanting to sign him long term and look maybe it's a, a two-year deal or a three-year deal with that you know that you're going to go back to the table specifically after this upcoming season where the pressure is on where you will find out really what's happening especially with how they go out and, and act in this free agency period upcoming so yeah it, it just feels like for the mariners this the, the pressure truly is on next season and how they finish this season going into next season to make it appealing for free agents to want to come and play on this this roster and how they go out and sign them. And, and look, they most likely are going to have to do that with Jerry DePoto. It would be stunning for them to, to move away from him. They obviously can, but to me it feels like they will extend Jerry DePoto and he'll be the guy – next season with the pressure on leading this team. Yeah, I, I find it very hard for the Mariners to say, you know what, you led us to this point, and now we're not going to let you see it through to the end. I mean, there is precedent for that in Major League Baseball, but it would just seem very odd for them to entrust Jerry DePoto up to this point and then say, you know what, you led us through this rebuild, but you're not going to be the guy that takes us to where we ultimately want to go. I think it would be fair for DePoto to get the Mariners in the vision that he's always had for this team and then to see if he can continue to sustain it. I think at that point we'll see the true test of what kind of general manager he is rather than, you know, he's really good at, at trading away assets and getting prospects back. I think now we really start to see the true test of the Mariners player development is can you turn these prospects not only into viable starters in, in baseball, but also to get a few stars out of this because it's it's not enough to have guys that are good contributors in baseball. You've got to have guys that become super duper stars if you want to get to that level that we've seen the Astros get to, that we've seen the Cubs get to, that we've seen a lot of these teams over the last couple of years go this route and get to a World Series and win a World Series and not just 
be okay with getting to the wild card round, you know, like, and for as some, as somebody that has lived in Seattle for the majority of the 20 years that has been in between playoff appearances, and it might be 21 going into next year, who knows how the rest of the season plays out. It, this last week was a true test of patience for myself. I want to break, I want the playoff drought to be broken in the worst possible way. But also, I want this team to become a contender in the worst worst possible way. Can you be satisfied with the Mariners' progress over the next couple of years if they don't make the playoffs? Like that's going to be tough because it's been so long. I would kill to just have one wild card game, but also I would kill for the Mariners to be a perennial contender. And it is just this juggling act right now, Taylor. When you look at, I guess your priorities as a fan, what do you hope to see more right now, breaking the playoff drought or becoming a perennial contender? The long-term success. Look, you mentioned it. I've lived here. I've experienced the past 20 years with everyone who's lived here as a Mariners fan. I know what it's like, but I also know that if you go and you lose the one-off games and you're out and then it's a couple years before you make it and you lose a one one-off playoff game again that's not success that's not a successful organization and if it means what's one more year right like literally you've been waiting 20 years what's another year it's it's 365 days so to me the long-term success of this organization building those pillars that you can lean on for years to come and that you can have generations grow up rooting for these guys. Uh, that's what I'm hoping to see here in the future. And I know that they, as far as I can tell, they have made a lot of the right moves to get themselves in position to do that. Yeah. And look, like it or not, I think some of those right moves we saw this week and in, in not dealing guys like Kelnick and Rodriguez for two-month rentals for 16-month rentals guys like Jose Barrios or Whit Merrifield to me those trades would have been very tough to stomach if you were giving up guys at the very top of your farm system and like we heard at, at various points throughout the week that was the asking price it turned into a seller's market and the Mariners just were not in that kind of position to dip into their farm system and say you know what we're going to part with you know, a couple of our best prospects. Look, they were this week. They were also told by baseball America, four of your prospects are in our top 15. That's going to make opposing GMs take notice and say, Oh, well, you've got plenty of guys in your system to, you know, withstand letting one of these guys go. And the Mariners stood pat. And as, and we're seeing it on the text line right now, that's not sitting well with a lot of people who call themselves Mariners fans because, look, we all want to win right now, but also it, for the chances of becoming a perennial contender, you got to have as many bites of the apple. And, and when we're talking bites of the apple here, we're talking prospects. you got to have not just this wave of prospects, but one coming up after this wave in order to make sure that if any of these guys does not pan out, it doesn't derail them from becoming a World Series contender in the future, which, look, that's something this organization has never done in these 20 years is make sure that there is wave after wave after wave coming in. Yeah, and I know, again, like you mentioned, the frustration here on the text message line coming in here that 
you know, uh, it doesn't have to be one or the other, the three, six, oh, saying you could go for it this year without selling the future. That's the disappointment. How do we know that they're not going to be competing for a wild card, that second wild card spot later on when they get Fraley and Lewis back, like we talked about having a couple more of those pieces and those bats back in the rotation, you know, you get Castillo in here, you get him settled in into that rotation as well. What can this team do? They're still above 500. They're not out of that race either. So 360, maybe they did do that, and we're going to find out. And and to sit here on July 31st and make proclamations about the rest of the season, or even next season, what this team will be able to not accomplish or accomplish, it's foolish. The roster could look drastically different. But you can sit here and say that they are setting themselves up for success in years to come. And that's all you can truly ask for as a fan. Coming up next, text in your shout-outs to the text line 710-710, powered by Mac and Jacks. We give you our shout-outs next. That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It is time for shout-outs here on Seattle Sports Saturday. First off, shout-out to you for making us a part of your Saturday, as you've done for a while now. We've been on the air, what, a couple years now for Seattle Sports Saturday. Mm -hmm. Always appreciate you guys stopping by, making us a part of your late Saturday morning, early Saturday afternoon. We can't thank you enough for that. Uh, also, shout-outs on the text line, 425. So shout-out to Julio Rodriguez for killing it in the Olympics and representing the Dominican Republic and Mariners well. Yeah, there was a, uh, a collision he was involved in a couple days ago in the Olympics. He was fine, managed to uh, shake it off, and continued to play very well for the Dominican Republic. Uh, Taylor, we talk about this Mariners farm system a lot. I think the guy I am most excited for among these prospects is Julio because man, he he looks like a superstar. Like he's built like a superstar. He's what six four, two hundred something pounds. That is that is a guy who I think has a very very high potential, and, and I am looking so much so forward to him probably making his debut next season. I know Depoto has kind of left the door open for the end of this season. I don't see that happening, but. Julio is a guy that I am super duper excited for. Yeah. And again, like you mentioned it, not giving up Julio for any of these rental players for two seasons, holding on to these pieces, making sure that they are here, that we do get to find out who they are and we don't have to be the farm system for the rest of major league baseball as well. So yeah, major shout out to Julio representing his country. And of course, uh, our, our beloved Mariners as well. Um, I guess it's a good transition into mine. I guess I'll do a reverse shout out to start. I'll shout out Ooh. in a negative way to the NBC Olympic coverage, which has been terrible. Just terrible. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I know we're a pretty positive show here. We like to keep things great. But uh, a couple of days ago when Suni Lee won the gold in the all around, we knew it happened in the morning. So we all knew we could watch it late or primetime NBC. I get home after a long day at Seahawks training camp, baking in the sun, motivated just to get through the day to see Suni Lee win this gold for the United States. And she wins. They cut away. They cut away. We didn't see her on the podium. They cut to an interview of Mike Tirico interviewing her 
later in the day. And they had, and then they just showed her watching her get the medal and then were asking her questions during it. It was a weird thing. And to botch it, you, look, you knew she won the gold and you botched it the day later, essentially. Uh, it's just par for the course for NBC. So I'm frustrated, especially as a part Canadian, seeing what CBC does with their Olympic coverage up north. It's embarrassing. We're better than them. We should be better than them, Curtis. So let's be better in our Olympic coverage, too. Well, and like NBC has so many different channels. You never quite know if you're on the right one for the event that you want to watch. And now they've also integrated their app, Peacock, into it. And I think they're showing a lot of the basketball games on the Peacock app. And boy, it is very tough to navigate. We're sounding a lot older than we we normally do on this show because we're we're a bunch of full-fledged millennials. We'll wave that flag as, as high as possible. But uh, even for us, it's a struggle out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll VPN you into a stream all day, and this is still complex to me, and I'm pretty fluent in a lot of these things. Uh, but a good shout-out I do want to give, fl- well, I'll end my shout-outs on a positive, is to the NBA, to the league itself, for drafting Terrence Clark. And I know that sounds weird to hear, but Terrence Clark, former Kentucky Wildcat, he was the player who died in the car accident. Uh, so to see him and his family up there, uh, or not to see him up there, to see his family up there, pardon me, receiving their hats from the NBA to, to go through that honor as if he were there with them on stage uh, was so cool to see. And uh, I think another way the NBA just proves that they're leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of other leagues as far as things like that, honoring their players, making sure the people that help build this league are honored and truly um, celebrated in this way. So big shout out to the NBA for making that happen. Absolutely. Uh, Just watching that moment in real time, there was not a dry eye in the arena for it. There was not really a dry eye from anybody in the viewing audience at home. He was likely to be a first round pick this upcoming season. And man, just the way his, dream ended in such tragic fashion Uh, you know kudos to the nba for honoring his family in that way Uh, because man like you this was a guy who had worked his entire life for this moment and to have it taken away in such a way i mean you just can't really get over that and by all accounts he was a tremendous kid i know he had worked out with the boston celtics a lot in his free time because he was from the boston area uh, I know, I think Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens, who are pretty integral parts of that Celtics organization, they had said, you know, only glowing things about the kid in the wake of his passing. So, yeah, shout out to Terrence Clark and his family uh, in the NBA for, for making that situation as as beautiful as it can possibly be under such tragic circumstances. Uh, my shout out this week goes to Simone Biles. It goes out to somebody who... Look, it it takes courage for her to step back and say, you know what, my mental health is more important than maybe performing at a level that I'm not used to, that I'm not comfortable at. And based off of what we have heard in the days since she has pulled out from competition at the Olympics, look, she could have put herself in a very dangerous situation performing under that sort of mental cloud that she had found herself under. I commend her for being able to have the the self-awareness to say, you know what, 
I may be this household name, but my mental health is much more important than any sort of gold medal, than any sort of fame that I may achieve. And I mean, look at what she has gone through over the last couple of years. Uh, obviously being a central figure in the Larry Nasser trial, uh, the disgraced former trainer of the U.S. Olympic program who had committed all of those sexual assaults on the U.S. gymnastics team members. And then also her brother, who was standing trial in a murder case, and he was acquitted of that. But those two things have got to just wear on a person over you know the last couple of years. And you know, also going into an Olympics where you're expected to dominate and anything less than that would be seen as a failure. That is so much pressure to be under. So I commend her for being able to say, you know what I am. I, my mental health is much more important than any sort of gold medal that I could earn. Yeah. And if, if you need any evidence of what type of a person she is, she was the loudest supporter of Suni Lee winning that medal that many thought she would win. She was her loudest supporter. And like you mentioned, Curtis, a survivor of one of the worst stories in sports history and one of the, the darkest moments in U.S. gymnastics, she's been a shining light there. So, yeah, it, it's it's been tough to see some of the reaction and what's happened, but it's it's been great to see the U.S. gymnastics team united and her be there for her teammates. And that's what it's all about. And her being that role model to them and being the leader that she is. So, yeah, great shout out. Great way to end it, I think. <laughs> That's how we're going to end it right here. Uh, Mariners pregame comes your way at 3 o'clock today. First pitch at 4.05. They take on the Texas Rangers. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. This has been Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle.